I like reading like strange things. Might not come as a surprise to you. But I, I read a couple of weeks ago this really strange uh, scientific study. And the study had to do with the effects of self-talk by the doctor on the patient who was under anesthesia, which is crazy in and of itself. But amazingly, they found that when the doctors spoke kindly to one another and to the nurses and when they were, they were speaking well, that the patients recovered more quickly, that the patients felt better. And they found that when the doctors didn't speak very well, even though the people were asleep, it seemed like it took them longer to recover and they didn't feel as well. So I thought, well, if it works in the hospital, it might work in church. Some of you might on Wednesday just start acting better, not know why. Might be because you were sleeping today. Never know. If that happens to you, you'll know that, hey, maybe it's not so bad to sleep. I mean, it's bad for me because I see you. I see every one of you. But the, the, the weirdness of that study is really nothing compared to the weirdness of the book of the Bible that we will read from today. It's the book of Judges, and it obviously it follows the book of Joshua. So you have the first five books of Moses, in which Moses leads the people into the promised land. In Joshua, they finally go into the promised land, and one of the commands from God is that they're supposed to wipe out those people who do not worship the God of Israel. Many of them are Philistine people who live over by the sea. And so, the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, are supposed to go in and wipe out the Philistine people. And we learn as we go through the book of Joshua that they're not doing a very good job of it. And we learn as we get into the book of Judges that they haven't done a good job at all. And so as these leaders of the people that are called judges in the book of Judges come into their leadership role, things just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's almost this vicious circle of them falling after people who worship other gods and God coming in his graciousness and bringing them back. And it happens time and time and time again until we get to the final judge. And the final judge in the book of Judges is the man Samson, the strongest man in the world. When I was a kid, I always wished my name was Samson instead of Samuel because, you know, a prophet, but a strong man, that's what I wanted to be. And then I grew up a little and learned that he was also a ladies' man. It may surprise you to know that I was neither strong nor a ladies' man. I know that is shocking to you, but true, unfortunately. Samson had a variety of difficulties in his life, but his, particularly toward the end of his life, his story has been one of poems and 
books and movies and songs and at least one song written from the prospect of Delilah instead of from the prospect of Samuel. And so today we'll read this Samson, sorry, I'm Samuel, he's Samson. I tried to change that and it didn't work. Samson enters into this a variety of different kinds of affairs, we would call them today. But we'll look at one, the famous one, since it's Valentine's Day and since I, there's virtually nothing about St. Valentine that we can know for sure, not even that he existed, it's just almost nothing. But we do know something about Samson and Delilah. And so let's read this text together. It's found in Judges chapter 16, and it's toward the end of Samson's life. Samson is born to an, a, a, a pair of older parents who think that they're never going to have children. And God says that their son is going to be born a Nazarite. He takes this Nazarite vow, or his mother takes this Nazarite vow on his behalf. And so for his whole life, being a Nazarite, he's never supposed to touch a dead person. He's not supposed to drink alcohol, and he's not supposed to have his hair cut. Those were the three vows of a Nazarite. And this is what happens in this story, very famous story of Samson and Delilah in Judges 16, verse 4. And after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bring him to humble him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver each. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength wasn't known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me, told me lies. Please please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then... Then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And so Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. The men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away from the pen, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you? when your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. This is the Bible's way of saying he got tired of the nagging. 
and in verse 17, he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. It's a sad story with just that one little hint that perhaps, perhaps he will be able finally to defend himself in that last verse, the hair of his head began to grow again. Simpson's life is essentially divided into the women with whom he had affairs. The first one was his, uh, his bride, the woman to whom he was to be married. And marriages in the Middle East took a while. It was not an hour, it was a week. And so during this whole marriage ceremony, Samson, the, the girl is a Philistine, the people whom they are supposed to be wiping out. And his parents say to him, no, you can't marry a Philistine. And he says, you know, love, what are you going to do? It's love. And so they finally decide to get married. He goes there during the, the wedding. He gives out a, a, a riddle to the Philistines and says, if you can break this riddle, I'll give you all new suit of clothes. And if you don't break it, then you all give me, the 30 of you give me a new suit of clothes. They're very upset. The Philistines don't like to be humiliated. And as a result, when they can't break the riddle, they go to Samson's wife, who's, they're not married yet. They're, they're engaged. They go to her and they say, listen, you find out what the answer to this riddle is, or we're going to burn you and your family up. So she goes to Samson. He tells her the answer to the riddle. She tells the Philistines. They get it, and Samson is very angry about it. As a matter of fact, Samson goes out. After this, he leaves the woman, doesn't marry her, and her best man marries her. It must have been a Middle East custom. They you marry with whomever you have, I suppose. And so the best man marries her. Samson goes out. He's so angry at the Philistines, they send a thousand people to come and kill the one man, Samson. And he takes the jawbone of an ass is the way that the, that the King James translates it, the jawbone of an ass, and he kills a thousand people. And it's interesting, Samson seems to have liked humor and jokes and riddles because he tells a riddle at his wedding, and then he has this joke here. It's in the end of the 14th chapter. As he, as he uh, kills these thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, 
He says in Hebrew, the word for Hebrew, word in Hebrew for donkey and for a giant pile are the same. And so he says, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have made you all into a giant pile donkey. You had to be there to see the humor in it, but it, it was probably funny at the time. And the Philistines are humiliated. They've sent a thousand of their best warriors against this one man, and he used the jawbone of an ass to kill them. He had this amazing strength, and so they said to themselves, we're not going to let that happen again. The next chapter in Samson's life is again the story of another woman. He goes to a Philistine prostitute. These Philistine women are not good for Samson. It's, It's a pattern with him. He goes to this Philistine prostitute, and the Philistines see that he's there, and they say, we will wait until the morning, then we will rush in and kill him. He wakes up in the middle of the night, not only leaves the city, but he grabs the city's gates, breaks them off of the walls, and carries them with him up to a high hill. It was humiliating for the Philistines because he had essentially said, not only can your walls not hold me, I'll take part of the wall with me and show you how strong I am. And so the Philistines began to realize that this man, Samson, was a national menace. Not only was he humiliating them, but he could, at some point, wipe them out. They knew that they had to do something, and so what they did, they said, we've The way to Samson's heart is through another woman. They figured that out. And that's when Samson comes and meets Delilah. We don't know a lot about Delilah. We don't know exactly what her name means. We don't know any of that. We just know that Samson was, for one reason or another, very attracted to her. And so they said to Delilah, this this is what we'll do. We will give you, each of us, a thousand fifty pieces of silver. They would give them a, it was, each one of them would give them over a thousand pieces of silver is essentially what the text means. And it would have been a lot of money. It would have been years and years and years worth of money if she had been working. And so she says, okay. So she says to Samson, listen, I've just been wondering How do you get to be so strong like you are? Samson says, well, if I'm bound up with bowstrings, then that'll do it. So while he's sleeping, she binds him up with bowstrings. She says, the Philistines are on you. And he breaks the bowstrings and she finds out that he lied to her. And she says, Samson, come on, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. If you really love me, tell me the truth. And so he says, well, if you bind me up with brand new rope, then I won't be able to break it. So he goes to sleep. She binds him up with brand new rope, yells out, the Philistines are on you. And he gets up and breaks the new rope. And she's mad again. She says, Samson, come on. Really tell me the truth. Really this time, tell me the truth. Now you might wonder why Samson doesn't start getting a clue at this point, I I, I don't know. You'd think that when she says, I wanna know 
how to make you weak, and she wakes him up by saying the Philistines are here, that he might have said, this is probably not the best place for me to be, particularly not telling somebody the secret to my strength. But he lies to her again. He says, if you take all my hair and, and braid it up in a certain way and put it in a loom and pin it down, that'll be the key to my strength. She does the same thing. The Philistines are upon you. He wakes up, pulls his hair out, and she's humiliated again. So finally, she just keeps on, keeps on, keeps on, and finally he tells her that he's a Nazarite. Now, there's some, there's some uh, dispute among scholars as to whether or not Samson really thought that shaving his head was take away his strength. Because the other two things in the Nazarite vow, not to drink alcohol and not to touch dead people, he had already blown those off. He did a lot of drinking at his wedding, and he touched a lot of dead people after the wedding when he killed people, after he left the wedding, when he killed all the Philistines with the jawbone. So it may be that he thought, well, she's going to shave my head, I'll still be strong. And that may be why the text says that when she woke Samson up, he did not know that the Lord had departed him. It's a sad verse, really, that Samson, this great judge of Israel, didn't know that the Lord had departed him. And he gets up ready to face the Philistines, but they immediately surround him. His strength is gone, and they put out his eyes, take him down into the Philistine area, of Israel over by the sea, and they kept him. They kept him as sort of a prize. There's a very interesting book called In the Eye of the Beholder, and it has to do with uh, physical deformity in the Greek world, ancient Greek world. Now, this is not the ancient Greek world, but I think it applies here, and that is that often people with deformity were looked upon as as entertainers, they were sort of used, their humiliation was a way for everyone else to laugh. And so they would have, for example, dancing dwarves. And you, if you've ever seen any ancient Greek pottery, a lot of times you'll see dancing dwarves on them. That is, they would call the dwarves in and they would have them dance and everyone would laugh at them. And they, the interesting thing was that a fully formed slave was worth less than a dwarf slave because the dwarf was used for entertainment. It's very likely this is what's going on with Samson. And so they have him grinding grain, a humiliating job. It was a job for an animal or a job for an older woman. It was not a job for a great judge of Israel, the strongest man in the world. That wasn't his job, but that's what he had been reduced to, a blind man pushing around a grinding pieces of grain, but his hair was growing back. And during that time, as he's grinding that grain, you can imagine that he is speaking to God. There's good reason for us to believe that he's speaking to God. So they brought him one day to the temple of Dagon. This happens right in a section after we just read. They brought him to this temple of Dagon. Dagon was a god of the Philistines. We don't know exactly what kind of a god it was. For years, it was thought to be a fish god because dag in Hebrew, the Hebrew word dog is much like that, and dog in Hebrew is fish. Like in Jonah, uh, Jonah is swallowed up by a dog, a great big fish. 
And so for years, scholars thought that Dagon was some kind of a fish god. And then more recently, it's been thought that he was some kind of a grain god, that he was a god that they worshipped in order to cause their grain to grow. And some others have argued that he was a god of lightning and thunder. Truth is, we don't know exactly what kind of a god Dagon was, but he was a god and, and there were human sacrifices made to Dagon. Well, they're having a great time. As you read the text later on, you'll see that they're all drinking and the, and the text says something like, once they started to feel good, they called for Samson. They called for Samson because they wanted to humiliate him. And in that latter part of the chapter 16, in 1625, there are actually two different Hebrew words used uh, to, to describe the fact what they wanted to do to Samson. They wanted to humiliate him. They wanted to mock him. They wanted to laugh at him. And they wanted to, in laughing at him, laugh at the nation of Israel. And in laughing at the nation of Israel, they wanted to laugh at the God of Israel. And so they bring him in. This blind man who had once been the strongest man in the world, now being led by a, a, a young boy, and they start laughing at him, mocking him, making fun of him. Samson utters one more prayer. And interestingly, in this prayer, at the end of chapter 16, he uses three different names for God. And he says, oh God, give me one more chance. One more chance. Give me one more opportunity to do the things that we all should have been doing. Give me one more opportunity to kill the Philistines. And he asks this young man to take him and lean him up against the two pillars. There was a Philistine temple uh, archaeologically found in 1972, and they found there that the entire roof really rested on two pillars, which is what the sort of information that we get from the text. Samson's strength was gone from him. He was blind. He had become essentially the laughingstock of the nation of Israel. But he asks God, just give me one more chance. And he presses out on those pillars and you know what happened. The whole temple of Dagon collapses. And Samson kills 3,000 people, kills more people in his death than he did in his life. That's the end of his life, but there's some sense in which it's a triumphant end to his life, a triumphant end to a life that really wasn't very triumphant, a triumphant end to a life that really wasn't what it should have been. He, he was not the kind of judge that he should have been for Israel, but God gave him that one last chance. And so you see, the real love story here is not between Samson and Delilah. The real love story is between Samson and God. Because despite Samson's failures, despite the things that he does that he knows he shouldn't have, despite all those things that he has done that are displeasing to God, God gives him one more chance. 
God gives them the chance to do what he should have been doing, showing us that it is never too late to turn to God. It is never too late to ask for forgiveness from God. It's never too late to say, God, can you give me one more chance? I've done a lot of things that I shouldn't have. I've done a lot of things that were not right. Can you give me another chance? God is the God of giving people another chance. One time I thought about planting a church and I was going to name it the Church of the Second Chance. Because that's who God is. He is the God that when we walk away from Him and we do things that we shouldn't and when we're not faithful like we should have been, He still welcomes us in and gives us another chance. You see, Samson at his weakest, when his strength is gone, when his eyesight is gone, when everything is gone, when he's the laughingstock of Israel, it's at that time that he realizes that the only strength that he ever really had came from God. Eventually, Israel gives up the judges. Samson is the last one. And finally, they get kings, King Saul, whom we talked about last week, and then King David. And from the line of King David comes another person, not one whom anyone would have thought of as the strongest man in the world. He was weak, born in a little backwater town in Israel. No one knew who he was except for few of those people who were around him. And yet, this man, Jesus, came not as a strong man, but he came giving up his strength and becoming weak so that he could make us strong. He came weak, but in his weakness, he was able to overcome Satan, overcome the evil one, and through his weakness, we are made strong. Today, we are reminded that we don't worship a God who says, step out of line once and you have no other chance. We worship a God manifested in Jesus Christ who says, I've come so that you can have another chance. I've come because I'm faithful even when you're not faithful. I've come because I am sinless even when you are sinful. I've come because I love you even when you do things that you shouldn't. I've come because you don't deserve God, but because I am a loving God and I come to you anyway. That's the wonderful story of Samson. As he stands there that day in total darkness, putting one arm against the roughness of the pillar and the other arm against the other pillar, realizing that if God will give him one more chance, he will do what he should have done. And God does. Today, I want you to know that God gives everyone another chance. It may be that today you think you've done something so bad that God could never forgive you. You've done something so bad that, that God could never want to be around you. You've done something so bad that Jesus would never want to save you, but it's not true. If God gives Samson the triumph, 
God gives us the triumph. And that's the reason that today on Valentine's Day, the story of Samson and Delilah really is a love story. Not between Samson and Delilah, but between Samson and Jesus, who always, always gives us another chance.